0: Hello and welcome back to the Green and Mona show here on Newcastle Fans TV, the podcast that we've all been waiting for, or me in particular, because last year Sam Mona had the very, very bright idea to email, message.
1: There's Lee. It was Lee that emailed him, but Lee, like, there was a conflict of schedules. And this is where the Lee, Lee was working. Lee was working throughout the pandemic, wasn't he? Through lockdown one, the original lockdown, um, which has the highest rating on IMDb of uh, all, all Rotten Tomatoes as the kids it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it was I stepped into the breach because you had done John Cross.
0: I had done John Cross, and John Cross was a fantastic in the movie. You haven't seen that? Um, it's on YouTube, Newcastle Fans TV, but. The one man that I'll let Lee describe as the best in the business has been on the Greenwood and the show, Samuel Mona. his name is Mr. Henry Winter, chief football writer of the Times and the Sunday Times. Um, and we've just had an hour talking all things Newcastle United takeover drama, arbitration, Premier League, but what an hour we've just had because he is the best in the business for a reason, Simon, we've just seen it today
1: yeah he's 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 fantastic um there's a reason why he's the best in the business and and so highly respected um just oozes class and um empathy and just absolutely superb i this was kind of an impromptu one and it was arranged very 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 quickly um because once this this is very takeover centered, but um, when he was, I noticed he was quite vocal on Twitter Monday night, it's now Thursday as we record this, um, about the takeover being delayed. Well, the arbitration for the takeover being delayed six months. Um, he was very vocal on Twitter, went on Talk Sport and was very vocal. So that we kind of kept in touch after we spoke last year. I popped him a message and it was all arranged very, very quickly. Um, So, yeah, it's it's an absolute honor to have him on again for nearly an hour. Whereas last time we only had him for 20 25 minutes. Um, absolutely superb, and someone that you could listen to genuinely all day.
0: I I never had that pleasure, that privilege last year, and you did, Sam. And I was very, very, um, what's the word, jealous. Jealous is the word. Yeah. Jealousy. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say gutted, but that was the wrong word because I'm not, I wasn't gutted for you. I was very, very happy for you. Um, but to, to be part of this one, on the Brooming and Moulin show is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I'll tell you a little bit of what we were just speaking about after we finished. Like, he, he's done the Brooming and Mowler show, which we're very, very grateful of. He's now writing a chapter for a book. Now,
1: wouldn't tell us what the book was about, though.
0: No, no but I, I think that's probably for other reasons, which we'll not we'll not know, but um, we'll not go into, rather. But that tells you how very, very busy this man is and to have an hour of his time. And very very fanta- he was fantastic with his time. He really was. And some fantastic quotes in there. But we're not going to spoil it. We're going to let you enjoy it. Um, but this podcast is going from strength to strength, and we've still got another couple of fantastic guests coming up and one in particular if you're a newcastle fan who wants to know
1: or just a, a football bit, fan in general
0: yeah who wants to know a little bit more about newcastle united is the man that we're speaking to not in, in the not too distant future takes all those boxes
1: unless he cancels <laughs> which I hopefully doesn't uh, uh yeah that's plenty of good stuff to come but th- this one um, this one's up there as well isn't he? so um,
0: why is he the best in the business in your opinion
1: um, longevity quality um, brevity everything everything <laughs> Just, I was say, just was
0: say, was there anything with a T at the end? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've
1: only got to listen to him for five minutes and you know, <coughs> you know full well. And, and like for football nerds, like um, you and I, like watching him over the years on things like Sunday supplement. What um,
0: show sure that was back in the day.
1: Exactly. Um, you just know. And there's so many, um, I've got a friend of mine um, who I remember last year said, Oh, can you tell him? Um, because there was a, a line about the Liverpool defence that Henry wrote, a, a friend of mine's a Liverpool fan. Um, he wanted me to quote it back to him because he's it, it stuck with him for thirty years. What was uh, funny? Uh, Oh, something about um, I can't. can't something about two towers, and then it was about um, the two Liverpool centre backs of the time. Who, who I can't remember. Anything Liverpool just goes straight through one ear and out of the other. I, I don't love you're the city of Liverpool. You'll
0: never walk a walk. <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm not a I'm not a big Liverpool football club fan, so that's why it doesn't stick. Um, but yeah, that, that's the thing. His 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 writing sticks with you, and it's just ridiculously good. And um, the Timers are very lucky to have him.
0: And I'm sure he was say the same thing. Um, Maybe one day when I'm sure there'll be somebody doing a book
1: about himself when he's finished his career. I think that would be a fascinating book. Well, he wrote Michael Carrick's, which is very good. Yeah, um, because there's a big segment in there about where Walls End Boys Club, um, where obviously Carrick started. And like like many of these northeast talents have a dealings with North well, with Wall's End Boys Club, so um, he's he's fond of the area as well as is Henry. So and he, he gets it, he understands Newcastle and and the place and the fans and the vibrancy of everything and and the soap opera that our football club is. So that's another string to his bow, and why he's why he's so popular because his understanding of, of football is top notch.
0: Does he finish this little introduction before we start this podcast um, pre-season is round the corner or it's just started really with Newcastle United and Sam you're off to a couple of games and one in particular um, not too far from you and if only we were playing Burton away every week we would be top of the, the league as well.
1: Yeah I'm going to my first game I'm going to I never have Has anyone said this apart from the Chuckle Brothers but I'm can't wait to go to Rotherham on Tuesday. Um <laughs> it's gonna be my first football match I've been to since February 2020. And here we are now coming towards the end of July 2021. Um and I can't wait. And then three days later I'm off to Burton away as well. So like London buses. And I can't wait. I, I really, really can't wait. It's gonna be um Will you be a bit emotional, sir? Uh, possibly yeah but like I say it's only pre-season but you know the fact remains um, I think when I next come back up and go to a game at St James's and you feel a full crowd again because obviously um, Millmore well it's not called Millmore anymore is it what's of stadium called no? New York Stadium yeah well it was called Millmore for people of my age and then um, the Pirelli at Burton um, they, they don't really carry the heft that a full capacity St. James's park does. So it'll probably be more emotional when I come back up and and see you lovely folk, but, um, yeah, still can't wait.
0: Well, enjoy your enjoy Mm Burton and enjoy this interview, everybody, because this is one of the best. So it is the Green and Mormon show with the times, Henry Winter. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the Greenwood and Milner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Today we are joined by a man who has travelled the world, writing about the game we all love. He has been to numerous World Cups and European Championships. You might even mention the one that's just been happening, or just happened. Maybe very briefly, though. <laughs> it's a pleasure to welcome the, football writer, the Chief Football Writer of the Times, Henry Winter. Henry, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Not done much travelling recently, sadly, like everyone else.
0: Exactly. Um, Sam, we were just speaking off uh, very briefly with Henry about uh, England and the European Championships. Um, very agonisingly close, wasn't it, in the end, Sam? It
1: was, it was, but, I mean, the way the events around Wembley kind of unfolded, um, I don't think we really deserved it morally, but that—that's that, that's a separate issue. Obviously, Henry, I was um, saying to you off-camera there that the last time we spoke was just over a year ago um, and we're now no closer. The atmosphere was one of anticipation last time. There was a lot of hashtag cans being prepped and now we're no closer to a resolution. Are are we just cursed as Newcastle fans?
2: I don't think you're cursed. I think you're caught up in a political storm, political tensions, financial tensions. um, That... How do I put it? It's it's funny just sort of, I mean, the people on the ground, the journalists you've, you've got around, you, yourselves included, you, you're far closer to the minutiae of this. I'm looking, I live in the Midlands. I'm looking at this from from someone who's obviously very fond of the club, who enjoys going up, who's got friends at the club. Um, and it's, it's just wrong what's happening. It's wrong... To, So obviously it's very wrong from a sort of a micro level for what's happening to the Newcastle United fans. So they've been let down clearly by the Premier League. Masters was talking, I think, earlier in the year that he wanted this to be timely, this to be sorted quickly. And I think this obviously affects you going into the new season is Mike Ashley. I mean, Mike Ashley is like a man who's who knows he's leaving a house. He knows he's about to sell it. Is it worth sort of doing out the guttering? Is it worth doing a bit of repointing? No, because he's not there for long term. So how much investment is he going to allow the manager Steve Bruce to have? Um, little players like Willock, I'm a big fan of Willock. I saw a couple of your games towards the end of the season. I thought he just gave that sort of energy and a little bit of hope as well. And that to attacking edge. Um, and, and what's he going to be? Sort of 20 million? Is the, is the owner going to stump up for that when he knows he might not be there in, in a year's time? You've got. If I look at that squad from a perspective, when I write my pre season previews, is that squad good enough to stay up? I think the first team's good enough to stay up. But if you have an injury to Sam Maximum, touching wood again, you have an injury to, to Callum Wilson. You see the two of them here. Miguel Almiron, who's run himself into to, to the ground for you. And if you can't get Joe Willock in, your squad is simply not deep enough. And then if you go and look at the, I'm not a gambler, but if you look at, you know, the bookies don't often get things wrong. I don't often see many bookies sort of sleeping on the streets. And if you look at the three, they've got, you know, the, probably the five in contention for, for relegation. See the three who have come up. It's, it's always like that. But you then, they're looking at Palace, Palace are buying well. You look at Burnley, Burnley got Sean Dyche. And the next in the betting for relegation is Newcastle United. And I think basically what the Premier League have done or have allowed this situation to develop without acting soon and getting this sorted out by earlier or in the close season is they're allowing, basically, one of the 20 clubs is going into the new season uh, with its arm tied behind its back. Uh, because of all this this feeling of drift at the club this feeling of a lack well very real lack of investment so i think clearly that's incredibly frustrating and i mean it's distressing for for newcastle united fans now i'm not up with you but i can just imagine if that was my club or oh, I sort of lived up on timeside, and I lived and breathed Newcastle United. Because look, when I come up on the station, I get off the train, get up the station, get off the train, and I walk up, go through those little ginnels up to the ground. Every bar I look into, the people in black and white shirts. It. It's it's a religion. It's not simply a sporting institution. There, you look up at the uh, you know the. The stadium itself dominates the skyline. I walk past the Bobby Robson statue and I just think of the sort of the great days and the great games and I always, Come back to occasions like the five 0 against Manchester United. That was it, the Hawaii Five. Oh, I think you made videos of it. <laughs> Philippe there, sort of going through and 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 chipping Schmeichel. And that for me is what Newcastle's about. That passion, all the fans pouring out. I think it was a sunny Sunday afternoon. Everyone going down to the quayside, the big market, and enjoying it. That is what Newcastle United, for me as an outsider, what it should be about. That bond between the club. The team and the players, and that's clearly been not between the players and the and and the fans. But I think that's been broken. So when I look at the situation, I think the fans have clearly been let down. But I also think, and what, where the Premier League are being particularly naive on this, I think it's damaging to the whole. Um, not only the image of the Premier League, they can't get something like this sorted, but actually for the sporting integrity of the Premier League, which is absolutely key because effectively you're going in with 19 and a half clubs into a 20-club season by one of these clubs being let down. And also, while I'm on a sort of slightly long run-up on this, on the broader issue, you look at what fans, Newcastle United fans, Leeds United fans... In the Midlands where I live, Leicester City over in the West Midlands, Aston Villa, go down to London, the Chelsea fans all over the country, Manchester United, Liverpool fans. You can see all the fans of the clubs in this country and go through the 91, 92. But in the Premier League, these fans, you, you know, with your organisations, with the platforms that you've got, you stood up and fought and effectively saved the Premier League by standing up first against Project Big Picture but also particularly against the European Super League and the greed of the, the six clubs. So the Premier League which it Masters owes the supporters of this country a debt. Also the country does as well because I mean look whenever I come up to Newcastle United I walk past the uh, the, the food bank, is it the West West Side Food Bank and you've got Bill yeah. Corcoran who's, who's almost as big as St James's Bar. When <laughs> And I just think, you know, the, the, what you have done, what the fans of Newcastle United done, echoed throughout the country, Support have been brilliant during the pandemic, raising money, I think for the food banks, I think it was, you weren't giving money for pay-per-view, quite rightly, you're giving your money. You know, that's, that's kept people alive in this country. And the other thing is that fans have been brilliant during the lockdown, largely, by not gathering outside grounds, by accepting this frustration of wiping out a season, all the rituals that you guys have going into matches, seeing your friends, whether you're going to the strawberry, whether you're going into, you know, which wherever you're going to, that's all been put on hold. And I think fans deserve a little bit more respect from the, uh, from the Premier League. So just coming back to this, looking at it as an outsider, I just think the lack of respect shown to fans generally, I mean, that's a, that's a sort of broader issue, ticket prices, travel arrangements, away tickets and all that. But I think in, in this specific case, leaving aside the rights and wrongs of whether you think that PIF are good owners or would be good owners or not, um, morally and all, all those elements, this should have been sorted out. For the Premier League, in my view, is one nil down because it is let... Newcastle United fans and it has let the division down by having a team basically being handicapped going
0: into the new season. Very well said, Henry. I'll just I'll just start with that. But you talk about the Premier League and Richard Masters in particular. He's relatively new to the job. He's only been there a couple of years. Now we had Richard Scudamore for a vast amount of years, over 20 years, and then obviously Richard Masters has taken over. Do you think if this was a Richard Scudamore, do you think this would have been done a long time ago? It would just be, it would have been sorted out in terms of the Premier League side of it. I feel like Richard Masters is kind of, he doesn't want to disappoint the top six, allegedly he doesn't want to disappoint the top six, but he doesn't really want to harm the relationship with Newcastle United. Do you think he's kind of stuck in a bit of a crossroads at the minute?
2: I think there are two issues here with Richard Masters. First, I agree with you on your first point. Richard Scudamore, because of his now, because of his connections with the game because of his understanding of the game. I mean, remember he worked for a long time at the, at the Football League. I, mean, I can remember bumping into him on a, on a train and he was getting off at Darlington because he wanted to do the 92 clubs before he went to the Premier League. R- Richard Scudamore understands football. He understands. He's got the personal relationships with the, the clubs. He's got a very, very acute uh, political antennae for all these things. He would also have realised that actually you've got to sort these things out uh, quicker. Um, but I I don't like the personalising of the criticism towards Richard Masters because, he, you know, he's a genuine guy trying to do his job. But the, it, it's not about him defending the big six. If anything, you could argue that the big six, would they really object to a Newcastle coming in, more money coming into the, uh, the, 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 the division? You could actually argue it's the sort of middle-ranking six, six, seven, eight. Who might have more of an issue with Newcastle suddenly becoming in, empowered? I mean, even if Newcastle, with new investment, you know, it would take sort of three, four years for that money to sort of filter through sufficiently for Newcastle to be competing for the major trophies. Personally, as a journalist, I, I love a change of narrative. You know, Manchester City came along, and that was a change of narrative. Um, you know, Leicester City, my local club, you know, winning the title in 2016, that was a change of narrative. We, you know, we we, I, we like that. I think the um, the view inside, you know, this is not just about the big six wanting to sort of lower the drawbridge so that Newcastle, the United, with all the Saudi wealth can come flying in and threatening them. This is more about, the, I would say, the middle ranking clubs at the moment, and maybe sort of slightly further down. Um, but also, you look at the you look at what a deal, a takeover. Newcastle United need, need a takeover. I mean, that is the absolute starting point. Mike Ashley clearly wants to leave. He's a pretty loveless, soulless um, owner. I mean, I've only met him on one occasion. And I have to say, as a as a remarkable mind in t- from a business perspective, we just I had three minutes in his company and we talked about the sort of two or three big football issues of the day. And his mind was like a Rubik's Cube. The way he sort of, you know, uh, reconstructed, you know, he, he just sort of solved the sort of, the, you know, the, the conundrum. And what I don't understand is that I'm not completely sure. Look, he's not in love with the club which is which is clear i mean i sort of i was fortunate to you know whatever you think of sir john hall he loved the club and he was you know i mean he still does i mean i you know i would love i I remember um i wrote an article which which upset him once or upset the club and i went into the boardroom and he sat at one end and i sat slightly cowering at the other end of the table and he just talked for about 10 minutes about why newcastle united was basically the most important institution in the country, let alone sporting or footballing institution. And you want that, you want, I love all this conversation about fans in the boardroom. I mean, I do think that someone who loves a club, like Vishal at my local club, sadly passed away at Leicester City. You know, he, he genuinely loved the club and he cared for the people there. And I think Mike Ashley, if I, if I look at this completely from an outside, everyone wants to invest in the, in the Premier League. I don't quite understand why more people haven't come there whether it's Mike now is just so obsessed with selling to the, the, the Saudi that he's not looking at, at at other deals I also don't quite understand why Amanda and Murad and uh the Rubin brothers don't come together they've got the connections they could raise the money in the city of London uh and you know they've got some private wealth themselves. particularly the Rubin brothers so I think they own the local know Newcastle racetrack as well I mean they you know they're not unknown to the area. They understand the passion. Of the... I don't understand why they couldn't go it again alone. My fear is that if everything plays out as it could do and the tribunal and the arbitration take so long, the Newcastle and I could get caught up in a relegation battle. And then when this takeover eventually happens, it will be through the EFL. Possibly, rather than the Premier League. Well, that that's kind
1: of a catch twenty two because obviously we don't want relegation. But from again from the outside looking in, it seems like the EFL just let any old bugger in. So and 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 are responsible for letting some pretty horrendous owners come in. I mean, you think of of Berry and and some such. But um, with with Ashley. And he's obviously hell bent on pursuing this particular deal. Are there not alternative deals on the table
2: like we heard of
1: throughout the past 12 months of alternatives?
2: Yeah, I guess you're mentioning the sort of Henry Morris one. I mean, mean, I've been asked about that. And for my sort of connections, um, I don't know how realistic he is. Um, I certainly know that there was one American. Consortium who've been who've who've looked at um, certainly one club in the south, um, East Coast Consortium who were very interested in Newcastle United and did some discreet soundings out and certainly were in contact with 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 Mike Ashley, but as you say he seems hell bent on on this one. I mean it's it's interesting because the dynamic has slightly changed because when it started out it seemed to be initially about the piracy and the be in sport. And the sort of the whole intellectual property, and to an extent that seems to have been addressed and what I can understand it from the Premier League's perspective and now it's difficult to know what the the objection is, because if it was piracy in the first case, then obviously the the human rights issue which for me is a big issue particularly with the you know with the, the Khashoggi being murdered um, and and you know manifold other issues as well um then if, if if piracy was the initial issue then why are they why is human rights an issue now i still think it comes back to the self-interest of other clubs in the premier league and i so i think just on a sort of on a on a, on a very serious level I mean, it's all serious but actually this this criticism and this uh, i'm no supporter of masters i think he's he's, ma- he's made mistakes but he's this personalizing of him As this is a Premier League, an organisation thing, it's 19 other owners who are involved in this. It's 19 other individuals who might, for moral, probably more financial reasons, maybe one or two of them had issues with the piracy originally. They are. They're the ones who are blocking this. I mean, if I talk to people at other clubs,
0: one or two of them are pretty acerbic in their view of the IF. I mean, that's fascinating to know, very fascinating to know. Just going back on to Amanda Stavely briefly, uh, Henry, if she was the face of the football club, because obviously she wouldn't have the highest majority stake in the club, but what would she be like from an outside? If you, if you were to imagine Amanda Stavely potentially running a football club on a daily basis, do you think she would do a very good job?
2: I've only spent probably an hour in Amanda's company, Merdad's company, um, away from football, and I would say she, is, she gets some bad PR by people who it's in their interest to give her bad PR. And actually, if you meet her, there are two sides to her. There's this, obviously this, this very sort of experienced, savvy, people-skilled uh, financier, financier with an ability to, to raise money and, and to front um, uh, investments like this. But also, look, look, you 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 meet people all the time. You can tell within 10 minutes whether someone knows about football, cares about football, probably within five minutes. I mean, like you meet anyone in this country and within 30 seconds, you meet a stranger on the train, socially distanced, you know, within <laughs> three, four minutes, probably less. You, you're trying to find out what club. Baseball. I get asked all the time, you know, what's 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 my club? And then when you say, well, I don't really have a club, people go, Oh, you can't be a real football fan. But so I mean that's a journalistic thing. But so I think with if you talk to a man and you talk to a Murder, you these are these people love football. They clearly they're in it for investment, but they're also in it because they love football. I mean I you know without telling tales out of school I mean you know you talk to them about their plans for Newcastle and you go yeah that's good. Um I mean it's that Alan I mean when Alan Shearer was put in charge. You you'll you remember it, and he had sort of ten games towards the end of the season. To and I went up to Sim because I, you know I'm a huge fan of Alan Shearer because he he's you know he speaks he spoke sense as a player, speaks sense as a as a pundit, and he was talking about and it was something that sort of resonated with me when I helped Michael Carrick write a book. All this fantastic talent in Newcastle United should not be waiting on a, on the southbound platform at Central Station heading down to Southampton or West Ham or whatever. They should be taken in quite like the stock Brothers, you know, and should be embedded in the club. And I think talking to Amanda and her husband, I very much got that impression that they were very aware of this. Look, 30 seconds watching your program or you know leafing through the chronicle going on various, you know, of, of the local reporters' um, Twitter feeds, this, you know, you produce fantastic talent. But that has to stay in the northeast. That You have to sort of build around an element of that. You're never going to get a class of 92 as Manchester United, did, but you should have more. Um, and she, and to be fair to the two of them, they were very aware of that. I think They were also, you know, these are very intelligent individuals, but who also have got a heart as well as brains. And they've also, you know, I had a, again, not really telling tales at school, but I had a like 10, 15-minute chat and murder just about what was going on generally in football. And about clubs. And it was clear, I mean, he you was know, not a very high bar, but he knew more that was going on in, in football at other clubs, generally in football and with the national team than, than I did. And that's my job. So I was sort of scrabbling to sort of keep up with it. So look, these are, these are not chances. These are not carpet battles. These are people who love football. Obviously, it's an investment. But I think also Newcastle the United should take it as a compliment. Um, that they see the potential of Newcastle United. Again, I think £300 million is actually a a very reasonable price. Obviously, with post-pandemic now, everything's been hit by that. But the potential of Newcastle United, it's a one-club city. There's a real distinct feeling of Newcastle United. I hate the word brand, but if you want to look at it, if you're sitting in America or Thailand as a potential sponsor, Newcastle United have a brand. You ask anyone what they think of when they think of Newcastle United, they think of a, of a full Gallagate and passionate supporters. They think of a, of a club that dominates the thought process, the media narrative and the skyline of its city. And they just think of the potential for excitement, the desire of the fans. I mean, whenever I talk to Newcastle United, I don't get the impression they think they're going to conquer the Champions League within two years. What, what, I get the impression you know better because you're Newcastle United fans. But what you want is a collection of, of players, some of them locally, um, you know, local lads who play with pride in the shirt, who give everything, have a run in the cup, maybe a chance of uh, Wembley, and actually sort of at least compete, if not actually bring in the big prizes. But just that, just to have that hope, that expectation, and that pride. Um, and that, look, you'd know better than I would, but that's the impression I get. From, whereas you can go to some other clubs, slightly more entitled clubs, who say, "Well, how set? You know, get the manager out. We haven't won the trophy. We haven't, had, haven't won two trifles this year." so I actually find Newcastle United fans, the ones that I meet on the, I live on the east coast, I like go up and down on the east coast line, and it seems everyone who works on on that line is uh, is a Newcastle United. Fan <laughs> I get my ticket checked. Um, the uh, you know, you are, but that's, they understand the passion for the club. I mean, I've got friends whose kids want to go to Newcastle, Unite, Newcastle United, Newcastle University because of the club, because of the, so that image that it's not an image, it's a fact, you know, um, Amanda and and the Rubin Brothers and PIF, they understand that, they get that, they can see the potential in the club. And it is. It needs some TLC. The stadium needs a little bit of work on it. The squad clearly needs a bit of work on it. A lot of work on it. Training ground, things like that. But actually, it's all in place. If I had 300 million, it would be the club that I would invest in.
1: (laughs) Well, it certainly puts things in perspective when you see in the news at the moment with West Ham being the subject of a 400 million pound bid, and that's getting rejected. I mean that definitely puts things into perspective of how cheap it is. But I think what you were saying there, Henry, is essentially as as Newcastle fans, we just want the club to kind of love us back, which hasn't happened for about fifteen or so years now. Um, with the with the statement that the Premier League and, and Newcastle United put out the other night, that there was kind of sort of kind of lack of evidence from both sides. Mm. Do you think that came from? The Stavely side or the Mike Ashley side of things? I mean, just, just
2: reading all the sort of, you know, the, the people I trust in the Northeast, I think the impression was that it was an issue on both sides. But I also think, and it was interesting, I think Nick DeMarco, one of the QCs involved, very respected QC, I think he was tweeting early this morning um, and he was talking about, um, I've got to get this completely right, um, as you always have to do around lawyers, but he was talking about... Um, uh, one of the judge, I think he was in another uh, case, talking about fans always having a right to know, and I think this 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 is something that the your supporters trust. Very good statement put out with its. I thought there was a controlled fury in the statement, which I found very impressive when, when I read it, and I hope people in the Premier League read it as well. But I think they were talking about. I think they were talking about the sort of how opaque, you know, the um, the Premier League have been. There has to be more transparency. And I think that the Football Supporters Association are pushing for more transparency. I think what we've seen in the last 18 months is the power of supporters for the reasons you know, we, we, we talked about earlier. I think the, you know, the, the, the protests, obviously you don't want to see protests on the pitch as you did with the break in at Manchester United. But I think you saw the Chelsea fans outside Stamford Bridge. You saw the Arsenal fans outside um, the Emirates. You know, I think that, you know, fans do have an increasingly powerful voice. And I think that will continue and continue. And, and so it should. Um, particularly at a time like we're living in now, where money is quite tight. They might turn against one of the Premier League, you know, their, their financial support, as in maybe the television company. They may not so spend so much on getting every rep of sure shirt. They might cut back when they go into the ground. I mean, I can't see fans boycotting it, but I can see what Liverpool fans did. Was it in the 67th minute of one of the games when we walked out because they objected to the 67th price um, being too high in the new stand? So I can see that. I think there's maybe some form of cavalry arriving over there. I know a few Newcastle United fans had a pop at Tracy Crouch who's not the sports minister. She's not got any ministerial role in government. She is doing this job of finding uh, this fan-led review. And I'm sure she talks fans in the northeast as well as all around the country. And, you know, she's not being paying for that. She's, you know, she's a working MP in in, in Kent. She's done it because she's, you know, she's a Spurs fan. She loves the game. She was a former sports minister. And she understands the need for a regulator. And I think a regulator would knock some heads at the Premier League, together on issues like this, I don't think a regulator would necessarily intervene, but they would definitely say, listen, you've got to be fairer to fans. There has to be more transparency. Coming back to your point about dialogue, there has to be more dialogue. And what I don't quite understand with this, the the, the Mike Ashley thing, and maybe it's a personality flaw or quirk with him, maybe he has his own reasons for it. Obviously, he's very busy with his own, uh, his business empire. But it actually it doesn't take much to communicate with fans. I mean, I go to Arsenal and talk to the supporters' of the trust there. The, the tr- their treatment by silent stand conker is is disgraceful, and and fans fans just want to know that the people who are the st- effectively the steward, the guardian of the club, you know. Owners come and go, players come and go, managers come and go. You know, old fart journalists like me come and go. But you will be there. Your children will be at Newcastle United. Your grandchildren will be at Newcastle United, just just as your forebears did. So the fans are the one constant in all this. And the, the lack of respect, and the lack of communication, the lack of dialogue at at to be honest, I would say probably two thirds of the clubs in the Premier League is is shocking. And that's something that the, the sport generally has to look at. It's not difficult for an owner to hop on a zoom with the Newcastle United Supporters' Trust. He, he, he may well have done that and apologies if, uh, you know, if he has, and i got the wrong. But basically there has to be more dialogue. Dialogue on important things like who's going to be the next owner, who is uh, ticket prices, issues around the ground in terms of our bits falling off the roof or whatever. You know, it's just simple issues like that. And if, if you go to um, these these great business minds who are now taking over these clubs in their business world, I bet they will still have some form of communication with their uh, their customers. So why not do it with football fans?
0: I think if we haven't learned anything from the last 18 months, Henry, with obviously no fans in the stadiums, football without the fans is nothing. Oh, and-
2: oh. Tell me about it. I mean, seriously, interrupting you, I've done, I counted it up the other day, I've Done. I did 160 games behind closed doors, going into to, to grounds, and first thing, fair play to the players for um, for maintaining that level of intensity. I mean, I was talking to Jack Grealish just when he was at on Villa duty, not on England duty, and he was saying, Look, it's difficult for for someone he really misses the whole time, but he also misses the, the away fans for having a go at him if uh, you know if if he's whatever he's had a dribble that hasn't you know ended with him standing up. So you know they are fair play to the players, fair play to the clubs as well for organising it. I understand the political reasons why number ten wanted games on every night, every night, every night with people in lockdown. You know to keep to give people something to sort of watch on the television. But the thing that came out of it is how soulless it is without fans. And the, the the player said it, the manager said it. And most importantly, and again, coming back to the only language the Premier League really understands as an organisation, um, is financial. And you say to them, you say, well, hang on, a it, the overseas broadcasters, one of the reasons why they spend so much money, and that's the only area really that's going up, the domestic TV market will probably shrink a little bit, is the fact of the supporters. It's, it's you and your 52,000 friends giving this incredibly incredible backdrop. The noise, the colour, the drama, uh, individually and collectively. It's absolutely huge. And actually, the irony is, is that you are the ones who are paying for the privilege of actually forming this amazing backdrop that um, the Premier League then goes and makes billions out of. If anything, they should be paying you. So the power of the uh, of of the fans in terms of the importance for overseas broadcasters in particular, and Sky and BT, I get that, a Match of the Day. But it, it's, it's huge. And I think the Football Sports Association understands that, and I think fans are becoming a little bit more militant. Again, don't cross the line. I'm not saying that you would, but, you know, Respect the law, respect your club, but make your voice heard collectively as well as individually. You can shout as much as you want on social media. But actually, I imagine if, I don't know how many you'll be allowed in because things are fluctuating all the time and it might depend on on vaccines, vaccine passports. But if they were what, sort of 50 odd thousand for your first game against West Ham United, and West Ham United fans don't need much uh, much excuse to have a go at their owners. Um, I think you can make your voice heard very powerfully then. Just obviously do it legally, but do it very vocally.
1: Yeah, don't follow in the footsteps of uh, them mentioned clubs. But yeah, <laughs> um, it, it, with regards to um, the over- um and 19 clubs, how much of an influence do you have on these takeover matters with the Premier League?
2: Sorry, the other owners?
1: Yeah, of the of the other nineteen clubs.
2: Yeah. So I just lost you. There. Um, they're a huge influence. I mean, you know, the, the the Premier League is effectively twenty powerful individuals scattered from central London to probably boats in in the Mediterranean, off the Siberian coastline, if there is such a thing, um, in the in the Everglades, in Denver, in Boston. They are, I mean, I don't want to sort of paint a sort of James Bond image on all this, but they are, they're scattered around the world and they are the powerful ones. Obviously, they've got their voices who go along to, you know, their chief executives um, who go along to the, the Premier League meetings. But yeah, the uh, the owners set the tone. So look, Richard Masters is, you know, is an intelligent uh, financial man who, who cares about football but ultimately, it's the 20 owners who, who
0: have the most influence. I think, that's, I think that's quite interesting, the fact that, obviously, from an outsider looking in, that that's how it works. And obviously, arbitration is meant to take place in January 2022 now. Um, in terms of on the field, Henry, do you think this has a massive impact on Steve Bruce? Because he obviously doesn't have a lot of money to spend. Um, of course, we. it's, it's, it's a very... Well, it's the secret. Everybody, everybody knows that Newcastle want Joe Willock, but are they potentially being priced out of it? Unless Mike actually release releases funds because if they don't, they could be and bother. As, as you said at the start of the interview, um, what do you think Steve Bruce is thinking of all this at the minute?
2: I'm sure he's thinking I want to get Joe Willock, but also you look you look at Steve and he's got some good coaches around him. He he cares about Newcastle United. I mean, I. I I've known Steve for, well, I covered him as a as a player as well as all that. So, you know, his managerial. You you don't manage for that that amount of games unless you know what you're doing. And I, I'm neither in a Steve Bruce's the new Pep camp, but neither am I in a sort of Steve Bruce should be run out of town camp. I think he's been had. I know he's not Rafa, but he's he, he's not. Rafa in terms of his relationship with the Newcastle United fans, and Rafa obviously had you know was tactically, you know, it was fantastic tactically. Politically was another issue, but tactically Rafa was was fantastic. I remember criticizing him once about, about why he didn't celebrate goals. And then so someone close to him sort of took me on one side very politely and explained the reason why he didn't celebrate the goals. Because for me, you know, that is, that is the most – that's what it's about. That's why VAR is such an issue, because you don't know when to celebrate. Do I wait? Whatever. Um, but actually, it was because that's when you're most vulnerable. That's when he needed to be the cool head. That's when he needed to get messages out to the defence. Stay focused. The opposition could score. So, look, look, Steve Bruce is not Rafa, but Steve Bruce cares – Bruce cares about football and he cares about Newcastle United. And I know a lot of the criticism does hurt him. I bumped into him walking out, I think it was might one of maybe your penultimate game of the season. I mean I actually whenever I go to Newcastle, I tend to see you win. So I (laughs) may
1: I noticed
2: that. yeah, and it's um, any chance we can persuade you to have a season ticket? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, but my son was at Bristol University and I would go watch Bristol City with him there. And uh, whenever I went, they lost. And I was going, once <laughs> your son finishing university, you're gonna send us down. Um, so uh, no, it's look, he looks Steve Bruce cares so. I mean, it's very easy to see things in in black and white. Bruce Good, proud or whatever, but you know, maybe some, some, maybe somewhere in the middle, someone who cares passionately about the club, very proud man, who wants to, you know, professionally wants to do his best as well as for a club that he, you know, he cares about. Remember, this was a, this was this was a sportsman who was at Manchester United under Alex Ferguson. He doesn't like losing. He is used to winning, um, so he will. He but he's in a conflicted situation because he's got to he's he's got a restricted budget. And if any of his leading players gets injured, you know, Wilson or Sam Maximan, touch wood, that you know, they stay fine, then um th- then he's got huge issues. And that's is why Mike Ashley has got to back him. And ten million quid ain't a lot of money, you know. I mean, this is an industry which paid in the last year. 250 million pounds or roughly on agents fees. So, you know, we're, you know, we're thinking about how much you actually you've got to pay to get the right players in. I know with pandemic and, and everything, Brexit obviously causes a, an issue in terms of, you know, and then championship prices have gone up for, for, for homegrown English players. Uh, you know, there, there, there are lots of different issues that, that Steve Bruce has to juggle, but it's not going to make life easier for him if he's only got 10 million quid to spend. Mike Ashley has to invest. He's clearly been let down by the Premier League in terms of the timing of this, but he's now going into a brutal season and he's got to go in fully armed. And Steve, he's got to make sure that Steve Bruce has got all the players that that he needs. He's never going to have that. You know, i have never, I mean, if you look at Steve Bruce's career, he's never spent, Consistently, like some managers stamped his feet and said, I need two, three players more. Steve always kind of got on with it because that's his nature, whether it's a, a Geordie nature, a Northeastern nature, you know, you just get on with things. You don't complain. And he, and he's, he's, he's going to have, unfortunately, he's going to have to do that again. And I just pray you don't get an injury.
1: Well, I mean, you mentioned the 10 million figure there, considering Sir John Hall was spending more than that in 1995. <laughs> And here we are in 2021. Um, I do have, for all his flaws, and I think last season, particularly in that long losing run, we had Steve Bruce was lucky and uh, to keep his job. But I do have a degree of sympathy when he is basically left on the front line to kind of explain things to the to the press and and the fans because there is no communication, even with like player contract renewals. It, it's it's ridiculous. You mentioned if if if. If Stan Kroenke silent, Stan, I I don't know what you'd call Mark Ashley. Well, I do, but I don't want to say the words. But um, that that would kind of be the refreshing thing when you see Amanda Stavely on Sky Sports, on ITV, Tiny Tees, on on even Talk Sport the other day. Um, Why do you think she's just not willing to let this lie and maybe, as you said earlier, just go it alone with the Rubens?
2: Well, that's the bit I don't understand, and and, and only she would be able to uh, to explain that. I mean, maybe it's more down to the Rubens because they look, they've, they've they've got the money. I would have thought, you know, if they if she was put in charge of the club, and people say, well, she'd just be a figurehead. Anyone who thinks Amanda Staveley would just be a figurehead, figurehead just does not know her. She's a tough cookie, knows football, knows finance, knows how to run a business. I think, you know, she would, she would, I'm sure she would move up them i um, pretty sure definitely would move up there. I mean, it would be probably the most amazing part of her life if she had five, ten years running Newcastle United and then maybe in five, ten years' time, flip it, make a huge profit and go and sit on a boat in the Caribbean. I don't know what her aims are, but I think she would be fantastic for the club. And ironically, if you look at it from the Premier League perspective, and this is a conversation I always have with Scudamore. There was always an element of the Premier League quite liked a bit of drama, quite liked um, different types of owner. Amanda Staveley coming in with her intelligence, with her glamour. I don't think you can d- d- dispute that. Um, I just think it with you know, the buzz around Newcastle United. I still have issues with PIF. I think that is, uh, you know, and I'm sure many Newcastle United fans do. But what was the? Was it the the Chronicle or the Newcastle United Supporters Trust had a had a poll of Newcastle United fans, and it was 97 yeah, no wanted the, the the takeover. So, look, at some point you will be liberated for Mike Ashley. One day there will be cans. It won't just be a hashtag. It will be a reality, and it will be. That will be a real freedom day for Newcastle United. And I think and I and I hope you get it because you know it'll come one day. But I just think looking at it very coldly from the outside, it does the Premier League no good this delay. It does the Premier League as a competition no good this delay. And it particularly does Newcastle United fans, who are the heartbeat of the club, who's some of the best fans I've ever met. It certainly does you absolutely I mean it's just it's mortifying as your supporters chart said, it's completely unacceptable. And I thought they were probably a little bit diplomatic in their language on that. But, you know, you've got to protest at the games. You've got to, but don't personalize it in terms of slaughtering masters, because masters in a way, without getting too clever, it's almost his master's voice. You know, it's, it's, it's the other owners that are there. Um, and maybe it's a certain stubbornness on, on Ashley's part as well. Um, but it's just, it's it's brutal. And I mean, it must be boring for you. It's, just, it's distressing. You know, you want to go and particularly after what everyone in this country has been through, the prospect of a new season, of all the old rituals coming up again, of going into you know for, for a journalist like me that great walk up from the foot from the station which should take about 15 minutes but takes about half an hour 40 minutes <laughs> because you, just, you, just, you just bump into people and you have a chat and it's just it's one of the great i always remember sir alex ferguson talking about the why he loved newcastle as a footballing city and he said he got off the train once and there was a um he saw the Chronicle headline on one of the sort of billboards at the station and it said, huge, great, exclusive news. And it was pages one to five, uh, Annie Cole back in training. And it was page eight, World War Three breaks out. And that was the, and there's, there's, there's something very special. You know, for journalists like me, I mean, it's just, it, you're so brilliant to write about but the sadness is, that what we're writing about at the moment, you know, is, you know, you are a club of joy and you're not at the moment. You're a club of gloom. You're going into a season which could bring relegation unless Mike Ashley um, gets the checkbook out and backs the Bruce and gets in Joe Willock. And also the Premier League show a bit of respect to Newcastle United fans and also to the sporting integrity of the league, which people keep on missing this. What is happening to Newcastle United is not simply what happens around St James's Park. This reverberates through the league, and it damages the league's sporting integrity. And that's what I'm as bothered. Well, I'm bothered about as well as the, uh, the you know the distress this is causing tens of thousands of people. You know, on a, in a great football industry.
0: You've covered football for such a long time, Henry, but just in Mold. terms, of, <laughs> but just in terms of Newcastle United. What is the best moment that you've seen of Newcastle United or covering Newcastle United? It could be a particular game, a particular moment. Is there anything that stands out for you?
2: Um, I was quite touched when I lost a bet with Newcastle United fans on Twitter and I ended up having to swim the time. And about <laughs> about a thousand of them gathered at the quayside the, 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 the um, just to see me make a fool of myself. And I just thought that, you know, what a... That shows the signs of a... Well, of a, maybe I haven't got anything else to do on a, on a Sunday sort of, <laughs> morning. But I, you know, but I just thought that was brilliant. You know, the, uh, the whole... You know, that passion for football in the city. But I do think that the 5-0 the, the game, whenever I see Philip Albert, I always sort of just smile and just say, you know, thank you for giving me one of the, the easiest pieces that I've ever had to write. Um, I would say that game. I would also say Alan Shearer's testimonial which was an absolute mad night. I think he scored a penalty in the end. It was a crazy yeah. night, and I stayed on. I, I honestly don't know how I got home that night. I know <laughs> I was staying it up myself from we in town. All I can remember, leaving St. James's Park, I don't know, it was, it was a long time after midnight, and Les Ferdinand was still on the decks, and half of that squad were on the dance floor, and I just, my last memory was, this is not just a football club, this is a family. And Obviously, it was built around Alan Shearer that night because Alan Shearer embodies, for me, everything that's sort of good and strong and loyal and hardworking um, and football mad about your great city. Um, but actually, also one well, amazing night. I sound like a typical journalist. One of my highlights is uh, it's of... Uh, is a Boozy evening. <laughs> um, well, I feel, I'll give another night. The You might not enjoy this so much, but seeing... Well, I, I mean, took my eyes a little bit of time to recover it, but from seeing some of the most distinguished Newcastle United reporters in the press room, standing there in their underpants, soaked through after, I think it was the 2-1 night, the derby night against Sunderland, where I think it was Rude Hullett's last night. I think it was... Okay. I think he left Shearer He left Ferguson out. He had a very inexperienced front line. I, t- I think you did lob. lot. I think Niall Quinn t- took your part. I think it was 2-1. Yeah,
0: don't talk about that too much. Now. Yeah, don't, um, yeah, too don't drive into it
2: too much. much. But, but, but the thing I remember it most, apart from um, the team sheet coming in, and Mark Lawrenson was working for um, for Five Live, and he said, this, is, this isn't this is a team sheet. This is a suicide note. And then, then I am right. The heavens opened, and... Yeah. If that was the night when it was a complete monsoon, and just seeing some of these sort of really distinguished football writers like Gibbo and people like that, just standing there soaked through in their underpants, asking questions, and I just thought, you know, <laughs> this is this is, this is Newcastle. But even though they are at risk of pneumonia, even they they are still there doing their job with their notepads soaked through. Um, and only one other night, which was away from that, and apologies again, it was a defeat, was being with the Newcastle reporters, who are an absolute brilliant bunch, and being in the uh, velodrome in Marseille when you played Marseille in the, I think it was the UEFA Cup, yeah. and I, I'm afraid you lost, and Didier Droppe, everything comes back to his underpants, Didier dropped, <laughs> came into the press room in his underpants with a bottle of champagne. And he just sort of he just sort of sprayed it. And I didn't know whether to protect my screen or just sort of see if I can get in the way just to get some <laughs> of the champagne. Um, look, whenever I cover you, it is it is it is it is a privilege and it's unexpected. But what I w- I'm really looking forward to is going up to St. James's Park with you under a new owner, with the fans absolutely buzzing, just that sense of anticipation, that's that electric shock shot almost, the adrenaline rush going through the fans three seconds before kickoff, and that moment of hope. Because that that's the worst thing at the moment, is the hope has been taken away from you, and you don't know when that hope's going to come back.
1: No. Uh, there's always a sad undertone of melancholy when it comes to Newcastle these days. But um, to, to kind of put you on the spot, Henry, um, will this takeover go through, no matter how long it takes? Will this PIF PCP Ruben takeover go through? Will it happen?
2: You see, here's another thing. I don't understand why a man doing the Rubens don't do the deal themselves, stagger the payments to Mike, who clearly wants to sell, and then bring PIF in at some other point. And something that, that, that you know the Premier League has also got to understand. And this is the juggle they have, the, the sort of balancing that they have to make between the, the morality of it and the financial element of it. This is this takeover is not simply about the club. This is about investment in the community, in jobs, and boy, do we need investment, hope, jobs at the moment in all communities. And I imagine in 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 the northeast, it's it's you know you've been as badly hit as as all areas. Um, I mean, I look at what happened at Manchester City and that area where the stadium now is used to be a really run down area. There were, you know, there were old factory. There was oil on the streets. It was an industrial wasteland. I'm I'm painting a slightly grimmer picture than it probably was that locals would say. But actually, the whole area has been transformed. There's a school there. There's a velodrome there. There's obviously the big stadium, two stadiums. There's the campus. So this is not simply about investing in a club, but also in a community. And I think the Premier League has got a duty to understand that as well. But I also understand why there is this moral argument against it. But in my understanding, I know with a couple of chief executives and a couple of uh, clubs, certainly having talked to them specifically about it, the moral element is huge. But I actually think for most of them is the financial element. And they've, they've got to address that. They've got to be more transparent about that. Um, will it go through? I mean, you're closer to it than I am. I'm not sure it will. I hope I'm, I really hope I'm wrong. And I, but what I hope is that Amanda and her husband, her dad and the Ruben brothers who all seem genuine people to me, actually, get a chance to run this great club because they will put passion back into the place. They'll bring hope back. They'll bring glamour. They'll bring jobs. They'll bring investment, not simply in the playing squad, but in the stadium, in the training ground, in the local pubs as well. And then if, you know, if your are a kid coming up through one of your amazing local boys clubs, you'll, you'll look at the club and you'll see a man stable in the Rubin Brothers, people like that running it. And you think, I want to play for this club. I don't want to get on a train and go down to West Ham or Southampton or wherever, as, as has happened in the past. You've got to keep hold of that. So, I I would say I can see Amanda Staverley running Newcastle United at some point in the next five years. Whether that is with PIF, I, I couldn't say.
0: Well, at least we've got an answer. And that's... That's all we ask for. That's all we ask for. Uh, just finally, Henry, I know we're taking a lot of your time, but just finally, what one thing are you looking forward to next season? Just is not have to Newcastle, just a, a, the Premier League and everything, obviously, with kind of coming back to normality if it doesn't feel like it just yet. But how, is there anything, is there one thing in particular that you're really looking forward to? Fans back in stadiums. I mean, I said
2: that from the, the, the moment lockdown started look, I was very privileged to be able to carry on going to matches. And being in there and no traffic, you know, could leave home later, you know, and it was. But actually, I found when I was going along, I think it was for the cup final, one of the games at Wembley uh, earlier this year. And I noticed the traffic on the North Circular was thickening. And I actually sort of punched the roof of the car and I go, well, that's good because it's almost like normality was turning because fans were returning back in smaller numbers initially and now increasingly. And I just think, look, this old cliche of football without fans is nothing is, is true. And I just think, and I talk to the Premier League and I talk to the clubs about this. And I'll just say, you've got to respect fans even more. And whether that is on a very sort of local level in terms of dealing with a specific issue that Newcastle United fans are going through or a more collective 20 club issue like uh, ticket, ticket prices, kickoff times, making sure that you give people enough. You know, I've got friends at um, Chelsea who try to book up trips a long time in advance to get the best deals on the trains. I mean, look, take Newcastle United. If you've got a London game, I get the, what is it, the 1133 out of uh, King's Cross. It's known as the Vomit Comet for our, <laughs> <laughs> but that goes to Leeds. So I go, so Manchester United and City fans will drive over the Pennines and get on the train there and go in that London. Obviously, you, know, you guys probably do the same if you've got a match in, in London as well. And why isn't the Premier League talking to um, railway companies and actually say, actually, why don't we have 11.30? That goes all the way to Newcastle on a match night. That or from Houston that goes to, to Manchester so they don't need to leave at halftime. Just little things like that. Um, I hope the regulator, when Tracy Crouch announces it, I think some point this week, she won't name the regulator because that will, that will be a government appointment, which slightly worries me. Um, but at least the regulator will come in and get involved in these things and there will be more communication with fans. Coming back to your point and what is at the heart of all this is a lack of dialogue and a lack of respect for fans.
1: Oh, don't get us started on fixtures because we're away at Southampton on New Year's Day, which is just mind-boggling.
0: What, what time does that to pick comes off? down? To, at the minute, it's three o'clock. At the minute, but obviously we don't know if that gets changed. But we were doing a live fixture reaction, and we're away to Everton on the 28th, and then away to Southampton on New it's Year's true. Day. I
2: mean, yeah. you see, that's just that's just. Well, put it this way: if you were racehorses, they wouldn't do this to you.
0: Exactly, exactly. Henry, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you.
2: I'm sorry I can't cast any more light on it, but you've got a lot of people who do amazing work on your patch and and you guys with with your programme as well. And I just hope that one day you will have your freedom, you will have your cans and you will have your hope back. (laughs) Because the fact is that you, with your platform and your amazing support, there will always be a Newcastle United.
0: Very well said. Sam, where can people uh, watch or listen to this uh, podcast, I should say?
1: Uh, YouTube and all podcast outlets. New episode released every Tuesday.
0: For myself, Sam i and the chief football writer of the Times, Henry Winter. We'll see you all very, very soon.